and welcome to FlexLNG's third quarter presentation. I'm Eustan Karlekev, the CEO of FlexLNG Management, and I will be joined by our CFO, Knut Holt, who will run you through the numbers a bit later in the presentation. Following the presentation, we will have a Q&A session where you can either use the web chat function or send an email to ir at flexlng.com if you have any questions and we will uh, answer some of the questions in the Q&A session following the presentation. Before we begin, we just want to highlight our disclaimer uh, regarding forward-looking statement and the use of non-gap measure and there are limits to the completeness of detail we can give in this presentation. So please review also our earnings release together with this presentation. So let's start with the highlights. Uh, revenues for the quarter came in at 91 million, which, which was in line with our previous guidance of 90 million. Earnings were strong, net income and adjusted net income was 47 and 42 million, translating into earnings per share and adjusted earnings per share of 88 and 79 cents respectively. During the quarter, freight and product markets were booming and this affected both short-term and long-term rates positively. During the quarter, we had three ships commencing new time charters. Flex Enterprise and Flex Amber commenced their new seven-year time charters, which we announced in June, and these replaced the shorter-term time charters uh, we had for these ships prior to this announcement. We also had Flex Aurora, which was delivered as the final fifth ship to Chenier at the end of the quarter. Our CFO Knut has been busy refinancing ships and uh, we have recently secured 630 million of refinancing for four of the seven ships we intend to refinance. And with these refinancings for these, only these four ships, we are already surpassing the 100 million target we put in terms of cash release. These four ships altogether will release around 110 million. So for phase one and phase two, we today expect to release a minimum of 300 million of cash release and, and Knut will give some more details on this shortly. For fourth quarter, we expect slightly better numbers driven by Flex Artemis, which is the only ship we have on a variable higher time charter with spot markets booming. She's, we are also making more money on this ship. So get, revenues for fourth quarter is expected to be somewhere around 95 to 98 million, also in line with previous guidance of 90 to 100 million. We have full contract coverage for 2023 and a minimum coverage of 91% for 2024, as we have two ships rolling off charters in the middle of 2024. There is, however, options by the charter to extend these ships. So the first fully open ship we have available today is actually middle of 2026. So with uh, strong contract coverage, strong financial results and a healthy cash balance, our board has therefore declared a quarterly dividend of 75 cents per share. So far this year, that means we have pay, declared $2.75 per share in dividends, which is also in line with our earnings per share of 2.76. If we add Q4, we have paid three and a half dollars of dividends for the last 12 months, which implies a yield of around 10% with today's stock price. So, as I mentioned, we have a, a very good coverage. As you can see from 
uh, or fleet uh, overview. We have two ships which could possibly come open in 2024, but as I mentioned, there are options by the charters to extend them, these ships. So the first fully open ship is Flex Vigilant 2026, and then we also have three ships coming open or fully open 2027. We do think this is very good timing. Uh, there is a lot of LNG coming to the market in this window and with new building prices going up to the range of $250 million, we do think that these ships will be attractive for recontracting at uh, hopefully even better rates than we have today. As you can see, Flex Artemis, the one ship with a variable higher structure, which is just uh, dragging up our revenues for Q4 this year. Dividend, as I mentioned, no big surprises there. A consensus estimate for our dividend this quarter is also 75 cents, uh, bringing uh, the last 12 months dividend to three and a half dollars uh, in total. We have gone through our decision factors for how we are planning our dividend in details during the last couple of quarters. Uh, as you can see here, it's a lot of green lights. Our earnings are strong. Market outlook is good. We have, as I mentioned, a very strong contract backlog. Our cash position today is 271 million. And with the balance sheet optimization program, we expect this cash pile to grow even further. Covenant compliance, we are flying with uh, uh, a <laughs> green flag. Uh, we don't have any upcoming debt maturities. We don't have any capex liabilities except of ordinary dry docking for the ships. So uh, it's no problem paying out these dividends for us for sure. We are also after several requests by shareholders introducing our dividend reinvestment plan. So those people who like to reinvest their dividend in new flex LNG shares will now have the opportunity to do so. So um, if you look at our PL, you will see a big number for this year, which is $75 million, which is our gain on interest rate swaps so far this year. We also made $18.4 million on interest rate swaps uh, last year. So in total, we have actually made $93 million on interest rate swaps since 2021. So why is that? Uh, during our Q4 presentation in February 2021, uh, we uh, focused on a couple of factors impacting our business. One, of course, uh, trade war. There was a big trade war with the US and China. This really resulted in cargo flows from US to China drying up uh, during 2019. And, uh, and flow of cargoes from US to China didn't really resume after the phase one trade agreement was agreed between China and US in, uh, in January 2020. Uh, we also have deglobalization, which has been a factor for a lot of different industries. This has not really been the case for LNG. As we see more and more countries is entering this industry, both on the import and export side. COVID-19, of course, was uh, very much in focus early 2021 in Western countries. We have uh, mostly uh, put this behind us, but it's impacting China's LNG demand quite a lot with their imports this year being down 22%, which has been <laughs> fortunate for Europe uh, facing gas shortage. Energy transition uh, is uh, still 
uh, are very relevant question. Uh, making coal history, which uh, economists put up, has not really been the case as coal consumption has grown incredibly much due to the energy shortages. ESG is also a focus for us. We are expanding our ESG reporting. We have our annual ESG report according to the Sustainability Accounting Standard Board, where we are also implementing the Global Reporting Initiative. And we are now also uh, finally disclosing uh, our numbers for the Carbon Disclosure Project, which will be available with a score in early December this year. And then the last thing which has been driving our, our interest rate swap is the free money. Back in February 2021, we said one of the big drivers here is the free money and the money printing. So uh, the, the remedy, as we said, for COVID-19 was old Keynesian fiscal and monetary stimulus on an unprecedented scale. And we are now seeing the effect of this free and easy money. This, uh, we asked if this would re result in higher inflation and whether the debt supercycle would be replaced by a commodity supercycle. Uh, and we said that we weren't that really that worried because usually in a commodity supercycle, energy and commodities are doing well and shipping is part of that value change. Regardless, with interest rate at rock bottom level while inflation was picking up and, and fiscal and uh, monetary easing, <laughs> was being pushed forward on an unprecedented scale, we felt it was prudent to take more coverage for uh, the effect of higher interest rate. And that has resulted in huge gains for us in terms of these interest rate swaps. So if we look at what has been happening then since we, we put up this slide back in February 2021, it's really gone uh, very much according to uh, what we were thinking could happen. Uh, it actually started already in March 2021 with the big fiscal stimuli by the new President Biden uh, with the COVID relief package. The Build Back Better uh, plan was, however, reduced uh, by, by Congress. Uh, we also saw the energy shock starting way ahead of the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Already October 2021, economists ran this cover with the energy shock because Europe was entering a winter with very low gas inventories, driven also by the fact that Russians were holding back flows. And this resulted in uh, the gas price in Europe doubling the three first weeks of December 2021 from 30 to $60 per million BTU, which was really an unprecedented level at that time. Uh, in February 2022, the markets also became anxious that this inflation would not be transitory. Um, however, on February 24, uh, 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine and we had a market route and a flight to quality and long-term interest rate really fell a lot. So in Flex, we actually doubled down on our bets and we entered $200 million more of interest rate swaps for 10 years at a low rate of only 1.7%. Uh, with the, the, the war in Ukraine, we also saw a lot of supply shocks affecting a lot of shipping segments and energy sectors. Uh, and uh, certainly energy security, which has been a dormant uh, policy for a long time, came back in vogue because of uh, the 
vulnerabilities we saw after this uh, war in Ukraine started. We also saw that uh, the market started to realize that uh, the Federal Reserve was behind the curve. And uh, finally, in March uh, this year, uh, the Federal Reserve started to hike its interest rate, first by 25 basis points, then 50, and then we have had these jumper hikes of uh, 75 basis points, driving the Federal Reserve policy rate from zero to 0.25% to now 375 to 4%, and the market expecting these rates to peak out somewhere around maybe 5%. So, of course, that is also one of the drivers then that uh, we made so much mark-to-market gains on our swaps. We are also seeing politicians realizing that energy is complex. It's not really a one solution. It's a trilemma. It's about emissions. It's about affordability. And it's about security. So we do see some more realism by policymakers in how to make the energy markets work. And then lastly here, the, the last cover we are presenting is the Europe at, uh, at winter peril. Uh, there's been an anxious market that Europe would uh, end up with a lot of gas shortage this winter. I will come back to this in the market presentation. This hasn't materialized because of luck, because Europe has been able to source a lot of LNG because of the COVID lockdowns in China. And it's also driven by demand destruction and very favorable winter weather in Europe so far. So also, I would also highlight that uh, if you want to have more uh, insight on the energy markets and uh, the winter, I would also recommend uh, the Smarter Market uh, podcast where our new board member Susan and myself have recently joined to discuss uh, discuss the, uh, the LNG market more in detail. So with that, I, I think I give it over to you, uh, Knut, uh, for a financial review. Thank you, Stein. Let's look at the key financial highlights for the quarter. In the third quarter, we delivered revenues of 91 million, or TCE of $76,000 per day. The increase in revenues is explained by the three uh, time charter contracts mentioned by Einstein and somewhat higher earnings under the variable higher contract for the Flex Artemis. Operating expenses of 17 million for the quarter or OPEX per day of 14,600. Um, the OPEX is higher than the guided level of 13,000 per day and is explained this quarter by still uh, higher COVID-related expenses crew changes and extended handovers. Going forward, as uh, restrictions are lifted, uh, we expect uh, COVID-related costs to slowly go away. And uh, uh, with the extended handovers we have already performed, that this cost should uh, taper off and we should uh, return to normalized levels. Interest expenses this quarter is higher due to the increase in interest rate levels but it is mitigated by our derivative portfolio. And I will return with more details on the derivative portfolio later in the presentation. This quarter, we have uh, extinguishment cost of debt of 13 million, which is related to the refinancing of the Endeavor and Flex Enterprise leases, uh, where the purchase option price is higher than the book value of the debt. 
if we consider the, the total refinancing of these two vessels, um, these costs will be paid back uh, in approximately two years as the new terms are more attractive. This gives us a uh, net income of 47 million or an earnings per share of 88 cents and an adjusted net income of 42 million or 79 cents per share. If we look at our balance sheet of 2.6 million, uh, that uh, uh, is the 13 vessels, state-of-the-art LNG, LNGCs with an average age of three years. And as a reminder, these vessels and the book values reflect that these vessels were acquired at a low point in the cycle. We have a robust uh, cash balance of 271 million and an equity of 800 and 90 million, giving us a book equity ratio of 34%. Looking at uh, the cash flow for the quarter, main contributor is uh, cash flow from operations and working capital. We paid 26 million in repayments, which is, as a reminder, in Q1 and Q3, we pay somewhat higher amortization due to a semi-annual repayment schedule under the ECA facility. During the quarter, we uh, realized uh, some of our swaps, uh, resulting in a gain of, of 9 million. And then we have our dividend for last quarter uh, of payment of 66 million, which included 26 million in the special dividend. So at the end of the quarter, we had 271 million on account. If we look at our interest rate portfolio, uh, we continue to manage that actively. Uh, during Q3 and Q4, we have amended and terminated swaps. So the notional value of our swap portfolio uh, today is 641 million. And in combination with the fixed interest rate lease, we have a hedge ratio about 47%, excluding any utilization of the RCF. Um, the amendments we have done, we have terminated the number of swaps, as we see here in Q3, which uh, released 9.3 million, and then continued into Q4 when the interest rate levels were high. We terminated swaps and realized 14.4 million. Uh, the plan for the use of this cash is to maintain that on account uh, to continue servicing debt go uh, interest going forward. Uh, we have also amended uh, longer duration swaps and made them shorter uh, and therefore uh, we now have a total balance of both cash, lease and swaps which will protect us going forward for higher interests. If we look at our optimization program and the phase two today we are pleased to announce that we have met our hundred million dollar target. We have commitments for uh, financing, which will release $110 million. These include leases and bank facilities, and we also invite new banks to our, to our banking group, where we also then expand our geographical uh, diversity of where we can raise financing. This financing meets all of our priorities, and then we have uh, about four vessels uh, uh, remaining for refinancing where we see the potential to further um, release about uh, up to 100 million dollars. 
If we look at the financings that we today announce, uh, on the Q2 presentation we indicated a uh, financing for the enterprise. Today we can announce that that has been signed, documented and drawn uh, by the end of Q3. It's a $150 million uh, facility with a margin of 170 basis points and a tenor which is back to back with the contract. Today we then also announce a new bank financing for the Flex Resolute, also 150 million with a margin of 175 basis points, also a tenor which is back to back with the contract and that is expected to be documented and drawn ahead of Q4. We also announce two leases of, uh, for the Flex Artemis and the Flex Amber with a combined uh, or a margin of uh, 215 basis points. It's uh, all in all uh, 12-year uh, tenor for these and an average repayment profile of about 22 years. We are very pleased with these financing and uh, we are now considering uh, financing of the Flex uh, Rainbow on the back of the 10-year contract which then can include Flex Aurora as a replacement vessel for the financing concluded in earlier this year for the Flex Rainbow. Um, we are then also evaluating the options for the Flex Freedom and the Flex Vigilant and we'll come back with that uh, as soon as we have more news to announce. So with that, uh, I think this is a concluding page of what we are planning to do uh, under the balance sheet optimization program. We are fortifying the balance sheet as we now have a stable um, contract portfolio with long duration. Uh, during uh, the phase one and two we free up capital but we uh, have RCF capacity so the carry cost of the cash we release is low. Uh, with the new financings we have an ambition to further increase our RCF capacity and that will support uh, the journey of Flex LNG going forward uh, and uh, safeguard us through the cycles. And with that, I hand it back to Eystein. Okay, thank you, Knut. <coughs> so let's go, go back to the market. Um, LNG exports, the first 10 months of the year, is up about 5%. It's driven by US, despite the shutdown of Freeport, which uh, is now expected to resume exports early next year. Uh, US is still growing 11% by 6 million ton in total. Russia, despite all the sanctions and the curtailments of pipeline gas, LNG export growth out of Russia is continuing to grow and is growing 12% in the first 12 months, uh, adding 3 million tons. We also have 3 million tons from Malaysia growing 13% and then 4 million tons from the various other markets. If we look at the import side, uh, not surprisingly maybe, it's Europe uh, who is absorbing and soaking up a lot of the LNG. Uh, they are basically uh, importing all the growth in the market and then also the shortfall in demand from other countries. Uh, the, the most notable being China, as I mentioned, with the COVID restriction and lockdown still. In China, LNG imports is down 22% uh, this year. Uh, the high price of LNG is also 
uh, forcing out other countries like Bangladesh, Pakistan, India, where uh, the price of, of LNGs become so expensive that they are turning rather to coal and other feedstocks uh, for their energy demand. So, so uh, this uh, demand destruction in other countries and uh, the growth of the LNG market has really saved Europe this year, which is able to grow its LNG imports by 37 million tons or 57 percent uh, the first 10 months of the year. Um, so if we look at the, the gas crunch here in, in Europe, it's been solved by a couple of factors. It's one, the high prices is um, stimulating energy savings and we've seen especially demand destruction or demand subversion on the industrial side. A lot of the households are still being subsidized which uh, disincentivize uh, energy savings. So altogether gas consumption in Europe this year is down 12%. Also driven by uh, a very mild beginning of the winter in, uh, in October you saw uh, basically, all the big countries in, in Europe had a very uh, mild start to, to October and this has continued so far also into November. Um, so with uh, demand for gas in Europe going down and uh, a glut of, uh, of LNG hitting European import terminals, uh, to everybody's surprise, I would say, uh, <laughs> we are actually now in the middle of November with basically full uh, gas storage levels in, in Europe, which is also creating further bottlenecks. Uh, and this despite Russian pipeline gas uh, being reduced significantly. We have seen this being tapering down and now with the explosion of the Nord Stream pipelines, uh, it's basically only small quantities of gas being exported to Europe, uh, ironically enough through Ukraine. Uh, and then uh, we have had all these worries about uh, energy uh, or gas situation in Europe for this winter. It seems like uh, it will be solved with, uh, with full uh, gas uh, levels in, in Europe. The gas levels in Europe is, uh, is sufficient to cover about seven weeks of winter demand. So the gas inventories isn't really that big. But next year, I think Europe and uh, will face a bit more challenging uh, task. This year, uh, it's, as I mentioned, it's the LNG, glut of LNG going into to Europe that have solved the solution together with the uh, demand destructions. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, Europe has been lucky that uh, China has been shutting down and not competing head on head with China for the spot LNG cargos. Uh, but still, as um, we saw on the last graph, there are still Russian pipeline flows to, to Europe. Uh, how much uh, Russian pipeline flows will go to Europe uh, from Russia next year? That's a big question marks. If you look at the right-hand side graph here, we, we are looking at uh, the change in Europe's gas balance next year. And uh, you can still see these 35 million tons of uh, of uh, LNG equivalent gas going from, uh, from Russia to Europe, there's a big uncertainty mark about whether these volumes will be coming to Europe next year. And that means Europe will either have to import even more LNG, but there's really not 35 million tons in the market. There need to be more demand destruction. Uh, and, and basically there is a gap 
for, for next winter, which will make uh, also the winter 23-24 challenging for uh, European consumers. Uh, so with that uh, backdrop, it's maybe not surprising that uh, gas prices are staying high at elevated levels. Not in US where shale resources are bountiful, uh, prices are uh, come down uh, at, at very low levels compared to import nations in Europe. And we see here the TTF for the Dutch gas hub prices and then the dotted line here being the Northwest Europe delivered ex-ship LNG price. So with all this glut of LNG coming into Europe, the import terminals are uh, bottled up and, uh, and the LNG actually has to be sold at a big discount to uh, pipeline gas prices in Europe in order to, 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 uh, to divest it. So right now we actually also do see a, a contango in the gas prices because of the full tank inventories and the fact the winter has been so mild. Of course, the winter is not going to stay this mild for the whole season. So once temperatures are getting closer to zero, gas consumption will go up. And this is meaning that gas for delivery in future is at a higher price than to today. And this is also incentivizing uh, floating storage of LNG, which I will also come back to shortly. As we can see, the Asian spot market, the JKM market, is also at similar levels to Europe. Uh, meaning that, uh, that uh, we, we expect prices here also to stay at elevated levels and with China possibly coming back to the market there will be more competition for the Europeans sourcing spot cargoes. So as I mentioned the bottlenecks are everywhere in Europe these days. It's on the import terminals uh, and it's also actually these days on the, on the storage tanks and this has resulted in a huge build-up in ships tied up in floating storage, especially in, in Europe, uh, but also other countries these days because of the contango structure in the price curve where you can sell your cargoes at a later date at a higher price than today. And today we are at the all-time high level of around 40 ships being tied up in such floating storage, which is of course uh, taking out a lot of ships from the spot market or the general freight market, which is also then making the freight market very tight. So uh, looking at the spot freight market, um, it's uh, been on such a bull run now that we actually have to, to change the axis to logarithmic scale. Uh, we've gone from a slump during the summer. We had a very good uh, spring rally in the spot freight market. Then the Freeport uh, shutdown happened really sent spot market down again uh, but then with the build-up of ships in floating storage uh, the, there's been scarce ships available in the market and this has sent spot freight um, rates up to around half a million dollars per day uh, and above all seasonal records in the past however with such strong rates uh, it's a reflection of the fact that there's not really many ships available in the market. So the numbers of spot fixtures has gone down a lot. And of course, a lot of the uh, fixtures to, uh, which is being done or concluded today are relets where basically charters who are long shipping can optimize the program, release a ship for a short period of time and relet that in the spot market for, for shorter term voyages where they can make 
a lot of money as evident from these graphs. So uh, uh, also uh, the long-term market's been uh, recovering. It's been a recovering also because of the fact that new building prices has gone up and I've talked about it already. The inflation, the yards has a very big order book packed with LNG ships, packed with container ships. So the new building price has gone from 180 to 250 million. So uh, this translates to a 70 million dollar per ship increase. If you have all 13 ships, it's 900 million dollars increase in the value of LNG carrier in a rather short period of time. And of course, with higher interest rates and higher new building prices, you have to have a higher charter rate. Uh, so if you look at the five-year time charter rate for a prompt delivery, we are now above $130,000 per day. But that said, there's not really that many ships available on a prompt basis as I shown on the previous graph with the liquidity in the, the freight market. Looking at uh, uh, LNG flows, these are on the left side, hand side uh, the, the FIDs or uh, project being sanctioned for, for, uh, for uh, green light of, of new capacity and this are also we're including what we think is the possible of, of new. There is really now a fight with uh, between the, all the export projects to get a green light for their projects to add more LNG to the market because the main problem today is a lack of LNG. With uh, uh, all the Russian gas, pipeline gas to Europe suddenly gone, this needs to be replaced by a lot of new LNG and uh, so far Europe has been lucky in order to be able to buy this spot cargo since China has been away but with China coming back we do uh, expect them to, to, to start increasing their imports and then there need to be more LNG in the market. And actually what we are seeing is that the Chinese are the ones signing up for the most uh, new LNG. So we do expect uh, a, a bit muted volume growth uh, this year. It's uh, rather low. Next year, uh, again, a bit muted on the volume side. The same for 24. But then there's really a big ramp up of new LNG coming to the market 25, 26 and then give, uh, we also do expect quite a lot for 27 once some of these new projects are being sanctioned. And so this gives us a, a good timing in, in the sense that we have ships coming open in 26, 27 so we don't have that much market exposure uh, in 23, 24 when, when volume growth is muted and where you, you could have a risk of, of, uh, of uh, not the ton time mitigating the, the low ton mileage growth we have seen this year because this year ton mileage is down but the freight market's been good because ton time's gone up because of congestions and ships being in floating storage. So that's the highlights. Uh, I'm gonna just run through them quickly again. Revenues 91 million in line with guidance. We expect earnings to improve in Q4 driven by a better spot market. So revenues next quarter somewhere around 95 to 98 million also in line with previous guidance. This quarter we delivered uh, earnings of 47 or 42 million on adjusted basis which gives our earnings per share of 88 and 79 cents. Uh, we are busy on the financing side, as Knut presented today, we have just refi secured refinancing of four of our LNGs and we're already ahead of the $100 million target for balance sheet optimization phase two. We do expect 
that uh, all together for phase one and phase two, we will uh, be able to release more than $300 million of free cash for this refinancing of the fleet, while also improving our financial terms, our tenors, and, and the other financing terms. We are fully covered for next year. We have very strong coverage. As I mentioned, two ships possibly open 2024, but the first fully open ships is 26 and 27, when we see a lot of new LNG coming to the market and where we will be competing with ships with a much higher price tag than us. So we are very confident we will be able to secure new long-term employment at hopefully even better rates than we are having today. So, uh, not surprisingly then, maybe we are declaring again 75 cents of ordinary quarterly dividend. This gives a dividend so far this year of $2.75 per share, or the last 12 months of $3.5, and given our stock price of around $34, this should give you a yield of around 10%. So, thank you. That's it for us today. We will now uh, do our Q&A session and uh, where both me and Knut will participate. So uh, I, hope, uh, I hope you have all sent in some good questions. Thank you. Okay, then we are ready for some uh, questions here. I think we have about uh, 20 minutes for questions before we are heading for the airport, uh, going to New York for investor meetings. So if you are in New York, we will be on the Marine Money Conference in New York on Thursday, talking about LNG and shipping strategy in general. So hope, hope you will be there if, if feasible. This time we have had a lot of questions. Uh, we have had a competition here with some giveaways for the best questions and that has resulted in a wave of questions which we're happy with. And uh, we have also given some gifts for those people giving the best question. Number one, Future look bright, you have to wear shades, flex LNG shades. And if that shading is not enough, we also have a cap, maybe you Knut, so I don't ruin my hair. You want to try this on. And you know, safety always come number one. So we also have the reflex, reflexive band. So let's see who is winning our giveaways this time. Yes, um, a lot of questions as you mentioned, and I think we kick off uh, last, like uh, last quarter uh, with uh, questions from uh, Uma Nokta from, from Jeffries. Uh, he starts off with uh, <coughs> the index linked uh, vessel, the Flex Artemis. Uh, can you remind us of uh, how the earnings are calculated? I'm guessing there is a ceiling of around uh, 50, uh, ceiling of 100,000 and a floor about 50,000. Day. Yeah, uh, it's uh, much easier. Before we had more ships on index, now we only have one ship on index, but still we get a lot of focus on this. So the charter hire is tied to the spot market. There is a ceiling and it's a uh, floor and we have communicated the floor is around our cash break even level. When it comes to the ceiling, it's much higher than 100,000. Uh, keep in mind, we are generating 91 million of revenues in Q3. We are saying that this will grow to 95 uh, to 98 million. Uh, for Q4, earnings in Q3 for the spot ship or the Artemis ship was pretty good already. Uh, so when we are saying that the earnings are increasing, you know, five to seven million, you know, if you, there's 92 days in, in Q4, so basically we should be growing the revenues for that ship somewhere around dollars $60,000 per day. Uh, so that means that the ceiling uh, is a lot higher than 100. I won't comment specifically on it for competitive reasons. 
Okay, and he follows up with the question regarding the vessels coming open in 2026 and 2027. How does the, the charter's interest for those vessels and um, any indications on the rates and duration? <laughs> That's a, yeah, uh, there's a lot of interest. Keep in mind now, the first available ships you can get is 27 and 27 order book at the uh, yards are getting pretty packed. So soon we are talking 2028, 20, prices are 250, interest rates are up, we have hedged uh, a lot of that risk. So that means in order for people to calculate a good return, they basically need maybe 10, 12 years time charters and probably a rate starting at nine. So that means that as we shown on the graph, long-term rates are picking up a lot and we think we can benefit from that. We are having the same ships, it's Maggie XDF, the two-stroke, the efficient ships. So what we can offer is maybe some more flexibility in terms of the duration of the time charter, uh, because we have ships coming open in that window. Uh, but I, I think we can get better rates than we have on average today. Uh, and I would say interest is high, given the fact that yes, the order book is big, but there are very, very few uncommitted ships in the in the order book. So uh, we are working on that. We are meeting people. We get uh, there are tenders in the market for these kind of delivery slots. That's why we also upbeat about the prospects for recontracting ships for longer durations at better rates. And then a question from uh, Anders Vestin uh, for the vessels uh, where the firm period is ending in 2024. So it's a question on the on the option uh, periods. Um, how are the, uh, is the rates the same or is there any adjustment to the rates? Yeah, I think if you look at the, in our presentation, uh, there's two ships coming open possibly in uh, 2024. It's the Vigilant, there are extension options for two years for that ship. So that's the first fully open ship we have in the middle of 2026. Uh, and then it's the Constellation, uh, also a similar period, middle of 2024. Uh, the charter there can extend the ship for three more years. Uh, in general, I would say option rates tend to be higher than the firm rate. It's an option. We are not there to give away options for free. Usually if you give an option you want to get paid and that's usually either through a higher rate on the firm period or a higher option rate. And then we have a number question about uh, fleet development. Um, how to grow the fleet? Do you have any new building plans? plans to expand into FSOUs or consolidation? Yeah, I think we get this question every quarter. Uh, what we have said, we want to be disciplined. We have ships coming open this 26-27 delivery, slightly ahead of some of the new buildings uh, for delivery now and also when uh, LNG export uh, volumes is kind of growing tremendously after a bit muted period now from 22 to 24. So our focus then is you know, not running to the yard, buying your ships at 250, everybody can do that if they have the money. What we want to do is secure employment for the existing ships we have, and that is our main focus. Uh, and then, of course, having a good return on our equity so we can pay this dividend. Uh, we are open to, to growing, but we just feel uh, new building prices are stiff. If we know investing 250 million in that ship, it would be more difficult for us to pay that dividend. And, uh, and also that capital will be idle to maybe end of 2027, it wouldn't generate any return. Uh, so yes, the yard sticker price is 250, but also the opportunity cost 
of, uh, of tying up that capital for such a long period, we also have to take into account. So if you're calculating, you're losing that dividend for those couple of years you're tying up that capital, we also take that into consideration when making investment decisions. Uh, uh, as we've said in the past, we're open for consolidation. Uh, if we find suitable ships, uh, we have a scalable platform. We can easily grow the fleet by twice as many ships without recruiting many people. Uh, and we have an in-house management which has delivered fantastic results for us. So, so we are open to do it. But you know, our number one priority is to deliver good returns for our shareholders and uh, our efficient transport uh, and, and good service level for our customers. And if we do that, I think we will do well. Uh, FSRUs, no, I, you know, I think that market was dead. It's been resurrected because of the <laughs> problems in Europe where you had to add a lot of uh, import capacity very quickly. So it's been good for those people who have FSRUs. Um, and then I think there will be a conversion market for existing ships, you can convert them into FSRUs. All modern ships are, are, are basically too modern to convert them into FSRU. I think the 160 trifuels out there are better candidates for being converted to FSRUs because they are diesel electric. They have four diesel electric motors and you need a lot of electricity as well to generate kind of the regas kit. So, uh, but you know, that would be good for us. The more ships that are leaving the existing fleet, the less ships there are in the fleet and every ship you're converting to a FSRU or employing as FSRU, that need more cargos and th those will be transported by the <laughs> existing LNG carriers, including ourselves. Moving over to the market, we have a question from Michael Otten. Um, how do you see Asia ton mile uh, demand uh, for this winter, given the high probability of uh, La Nina? Yeah, yeah it uh, seems like we will have a triple dip uh, La Nina now this year. I think it's the third time in recorded history we have a triple dip. Usually that means a cold snap uh, in Asia, sometimes also theoretically should be in Europe, even though the winter has started mild, but uh, it's too early to, to sell your skis. Uh, the winter could be coming uh, any day soon. Uh, so in general, it should be colder weather. Whether this has an effect on ton mileage really depends on whether Asia suddenly they get a cold snap and start importing desperately cargoes. Because one thing uh, in Asia is the fact that they have very limited storage space. So it's, it's more like LNG in Asia is just in time. Uh, because uh, they don't have the same underground gas storage levels we have in, in, in Europe. So we saw this happening uh, January 2021 with the cold snap in Asia and suddenly we had a wave of, uh, of cargoes going to, uh, to Asia uh, and that really resulted in a very strong uh, spot market for freight also in January, February 2021. That could drive up tonal mileage. Um, uh, but so far this year, ton mile has been very muted because the cargoes are flowing uh, predominantly to, to uh, or the US cargoes are flowing predominantly to, to Europe. If that switch to Asia, ton mileage will go up and we will probably have less problem when all the ships in floating storage is liquidating their cargoes, then those cargoes, uh, then the ton mileage will mitigate the, the, the lower ton time. Then we have a question on the OPEX and the increased OPEX level uh, in uh, uh, Q3. Uh, and an explanation for that is that's the new level. Um, they say that Q3 we still had some 
COVID-related cost. Uh, it's related to quarantine and uh, COVID testing. That is phasing off and we are no longer uh, subject uh, to strict uh, quarantine and, and, and testing as the easing of the restrictions in particular in Asia. Um, we have also had a large number of crew changes and new on-signers, which, uh, uh, which results in extended and handovers, which has higher costs. That should also taper off. Uh, and we had also had some uh, supplies which were expensed in the Q3, but this uh, for, for the remaining part of the year. So we do uh, believe that we should come back to the guided level around 13,000 per day. And this is something we are monitoring uh, continuously. Yeah, but also, as we said in the presentation, inflation has been higher than, than uh, a lot of people expected. We, not us. We, we hedged uh, 13 months before Fed started to, to increase the rates from zero. And actually, we're benefiting from a strong dollar in the sense that we have a lot of cost for the seafarers in, in, in local currency and a strong dollar means that uh, they will have the same purchasing power even if you have some inflation. And then moving up to uh, uh, popular team, uh, it's our cash balance and our uh, refinancing phase one and two where we release a lot of uh, cash. Uh, what's your plan to, uh, to use all this cash for? Yeah, I, th I think you explained well, of course, we have the best financing market I've seen in a long time. Last time I seen something similar to this was 2014. But I think the market for financing today for blue chip clients as yourself are even better today than 2014. Uh, for those who are second tier, third tier, the financing market today is very challenging. So I think for the blue chip uh, guys like us, we have to go back to prior to the financial crisis in 2007, when uh, the Germans were throwing money around everywhere, we find uh, taking the money when it's available and it's attractively priced and where we can lock in that financing for all many, many years to come, uh, you know, makes sense. And, uh, and also we are coupling that with a revolver as Knut mentioned. So the carrying cost of force of having that cash is not very high. So it gives us our optionality value and also gives our investor comfort that our dividend uh, can be sustainable for a very long time given our contract backlog, our market outlook and then our very sound cash position. Um, yeah. uh, and that brings over to the dividends. A uh, <laughs> couple of practical questions uh, when the dividends is being paid. Uh, then I refer to the uh, the information that was distributed this morning on the key information related to the dividends uh, for the U.S. investors on New York Stock Exchange, the, the dividend will be paid on or about 6th of December and uh, in U.S. dollars. And for the investors on Oslo Stock Exchange, they will be paid in NOC uh, on or about 9th of December. But please see oh. the press release. Well ahead of Christmas. so. Uh, just wait, wait and you will get it so you can spend it on your family or friends. Um, but that gives also questions regarding guiding for dividend <laughs> going forward. Yeah, um, yeah. I got some uh, emails today wondering why we don't have a special dividend. I, we can't really pay a special dividend every quarter. Then it becomes an ordinary dividend. What we have said fair, fairly, you know, you know, 75 cents is a comfortable level over time, which is sustainable over longer time. 
when we completed the balance sheet optimization phase one, we raised 137 million of cash. Our target was 100. We paid out a special dividend of around 26 million dollars. Uh, we are now working, uh, progressing well on the phase two. Let's see uh, next year what we're doing. I, 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 we can't really guarantee special dividend. Really depends on the market and the and the opportunities we have, but. What I can say is we like dividends, we like to pay out dividends, we are shareholders, we have a big shareholder also in the Fredriksen Group who uh, appreciate the, the, the dividends. So we are paying out basically 100% of earnings, but you know where we can have uh, op optionality of topping that up with special dividends, but we're not going to guarantee what we're saying is we, we like the ordinary dividend and from time to time we will evaluate whether it makes sense to, to juice it. And you mentioned uh, the main shareholder. There's a question there. How involved is the main shareholder in the decision making uh, in the company? Of course, he, uh, our main shareholder, John Fredriksen, is the most successful uh, sh shipping investor of all time, probably. Uh, he's been doing this for 60 years. He's seen cycle come and go. Uh, so, of course, he owns 44% give or take of the company. So, of course, he has a vested interest in the company and the performance of the company. So, sure, he's heavily involved uh, and he's a, a fantastic guy to tap for, for advice uh, as he has seen everything in, in the past. He has seen boom busts and so, uh, so uh, for sure he's, uh, he's involved and, and, and like the business. Then I uh, think we'll wrap up with uh, a winner. Uh, <laughs> okay. Question on Twitter from uh, Jon Skule. Why are the LNG and LPG markets completely detached, but still Flex and Avance gas management are the same and so great? <laughs> uh, thank, thanks, Jon Skulle. I will see you in the neighborhood with some Flex uh, kit then uh, soon. Um, yeah, uh, Avance gas, which I'm running as executive chairman and our chief commercial officer, Maurice Foss is also chief commercial officer of that company. Yes, it's detached, but there are some similar drivers. Uh, shale gas, number one. Uh, shale gas has been made US the biggest LNG exporter in the world. On the LPG side, it's by far the biggest. So 50% uh, of the very large gas carrier cargos uh, comes out of, 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 of US. In, uh, in LNG, it's less. So, um, so um, you know, there are some similar drivers, although uh, the VLGC market is more a commodity shipping. LNG is more a liner business where it's more about logistics, having long-term relationships and making sure that the cargo is always on time. Um, uh, on the VLGC, it's a bit different as mentioned, commodity shipping. Avance Gas is mostly there for a spot-oriented uh, company and uh, I will be presenting Avance Gas results next Thursday. So if you think Flex is a bit boring and you like to have a bit more excitement into your life, you can also invest in Avance Gas listed in Oslo Stock Exchange, which has a lot more spot exposure, which goes up and down. Right now it's very nice being in the VGC market with rates at around 120,000 for these ships that is costing a lot less than LNG carrier. So thank you for the question, Jon, and uh, I, thank you. I think we uh, adjourn it for the day. And, uh, Hope to see you back for our uh, quarterly presentation in February. Uh, so that's it for us. Thank you very much for joining. Thank you.